And this is another fine evening in the Lord as we come together. Yes, I know, I, uh, I spell, blame it on Grady, but I spelled Melchizedek wrong in the opening, but, uh, nonetheless, you don't have to write me and say, hey, he spelled Melchizedek wrong, I already know. So let's spend the next few moments in sign of prayer, setting everything else aside and focusing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and whose word we're about to study. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity once again meeting together and fellowshipping in your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that God the Holy Spirit will open our hearts to the things that we're about to study and continue to study. We pray, Heavenly Father, be a source of blessing and challenge as we, and these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, uh, coming back on tonight's our review and question Q&A night. And uh, so let's just pick up where we went off, uh, where we covered uh, on the Lord's Day. Verse 18, so that the two unchangeable things in which it is impossible God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And what is our hope? Jesus Christ. Exactly. And our Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our banner. He is, uh, He is our Jehovah Nessie, our banner. And, uh, that's where we fix. He is the author, author and the perfecter of our faith. And, and, uh, it is our future hope. Hope is not something we have left behind. Hope we're not looking back on. But hope is something that we are looking forward to. And we do look back to the cross, at the, uh, at the work that was accomplished on the cross on our behalf, but we are, but the, uh, our hope continues to lie, uh, rely, or we look it back to see our salvation, but we're looking forward to the return of Christ. He is our hope. Yes. Did you ever say, mine says hope set before us, and I would, I would say set before you is in front of you. I've got over. set, set before us, yes. Yeah. Set, what does your say? Set before us. Yes, same yeah. thing here. So that hope is future hope, that one thing that we continue on, uh, that's, uh, and we sanctify the Lord God in our heart, and we are ready to give an answer for the hope that's, for the hope that's found in us. Something that we are looking forward to. Um, the hope that we have as an anchor of our soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. And one which enters within the veil. Again, who enters into the veil? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He, uh, And we must know. And I've heard this before. Um, and this is not mine. But we've got to know where our hope lies. Before we're hungry, we must know we have we must anchor within our hearts. We we count on um, everything remaining the same day after day after day. We we look forward to tomorrow being the same as today or next week, and and pretty much apart from um, some sicknesses that we go through and um, and those things that we we learn to cope with. 
there comes the time when there's going to be, and there's going to come a time for all of us, that there's going to be a life-altering event. Uh, we've been praying for um, David and Sierra. Um, Sierra ended up with some infection, and um, not too long ago she was she was probably I, I don't know her specifically or the family. It just is a prayer through a prayer chain. But um, not too long ago she was the family was going through the ordinary life things and uh and I bet you that they were looking at each day being the same as as the day before uh they could count on tomorrow they making their plans and with the infection she is losing her limbs she's already lost her legs and they're planning on taking her arms by the end of of the week that's going that is a life altering situation they didn't plan on it and we don't plan on these life-altering situations. But you've got to know, we all have to know where our hope lies before we come into that situation. It's like salvation. There, uh, well, as far as salvation, believe me, there are those people that, and they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to live my young life now. I'm going to sow my oats. And when I'm older, I'll, I'll come to Jesus kind of thing. <laughs> when they find out, well, next thing you know, they, they're in an automobile accident, they die, and they lose it, and they are taken out of the window of opportunity where they can have, have faith in, or express their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Um, the same thing with our, our time that we spend in relative peace. Now is the time to sure up the hope within us. To, to know who we trust so that when the crises come, we take that hope with us. You see, every, everything can change externally. The rug can pull, be pulled out from everything that we put our faith in. We can lose one another. We can lose, um, we, we can lose our health. We can, any number of circumstances, we, we are on a very fragile, life is a, more fragile than you can even imagine that we even think about. Life can change tonight. Um, so we must know, we must know now who we trust, who we put our hope in. So no matter what that, and it'd be so solid that it doesn't eliminate the tears, it doesn't eliminate the struggle, but um, but we will not. We may lose everything, but in the end, we will still hold fast to the faith. They, it's only it's only us, for each of us, that we can give up the hope, that we can abandon the hope, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Anything? Okay. You got that look. You're getting ready to add to it. All right. So the hope, the elpis, we have an anchor for our souls. Regardless of what's happening externally, regardless of what happens to our lives. And even through the trials and the tribulations, the, the hope still remains. A hope both sure and steadfast. Uh, we have confidence in a sure thing. And steadfast, it's not going to fail us. 
You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ stands on his own integrity. He puts his own integrity on the line. He will not fail us. Um, and we can have confidence in that. It's a steadfast hope. We don't have to change, okay, um, today I can, uh, I can hope, you know, I can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Tomorrow it might be something else. Um, or, or, um, no, it just stays solid. We, our hope stays fixed, steadfast on that one point, which is, again, our Savior. Alright. Um, and the one which enters within that veil. It is our confidence. It's the one who, not just through the veil that was made with hands, but the one who passed through the heavens and who is now at the right hand of the Father. Verse 20. Where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, what do we make out of that? What is the order of Melchizedek? Okay. He is the king and the priest. He is the king and the priest. What's what's so different about a king and a priest? What's what's so unusual about a king and a priest together in one? Usually, the king has a priest because he is not together. The king has appointed a priest. Okay. Or the the priest. The, yeah. Okay. Um, what was the priestly tribe there, Grady? Was it Aaron? Yeah, Aaron. Um, that, uh, you had the family of Levi. Uh, Aaron, uh, the high priest, came out of a line of Aaron. So we could call that the Levitical priesthood. Um, and then how about how about where where did the kingly line come from? David. Oh, no, Judah. Uh, Judah, Judah. So you had, so you had a kingly line coming from the coming from the tribes, the sons of Jacob, the uh, who were the forefather. You had the Levitical tribes. Those that's your priestly tribe, and your priest came from there. And what qualifications was it to become a priest in that day? You were born in in the in the. Family. Yeah, you were born in a family. Did you have to be a believer to be a priest? Mm-hmm. No, you did not have to be a priest. Uh, the only qualification was that you were born into that family. And so, um, so when we're talking about a, we're talking about the earthly priesthood and the, and the, um, age of Israel, the, that priesthood, uh, they, and they could be, Low down dirty scoundrels. What does a priest do though if they the priests um, the priests were representatives, they represented uh man to God. That's what a priest is. He represents uh man to God. But the priests were responsible for setting up for for making sure the ark was where it was supposed to be, the tent was set up. They, they, uh, main thing was the sacrifices. All those le- legalities. All the, all the legal, all the legal position. Oh, they had a position there to, to, um, to do, um, to do the functional things as, um, as the Word of God dictates. Okay, the Levitical sacrifices and all these things. So these are the people that did that. 
Okay? But you had, the priests were not always good guys. They were, they were, uh, anybody come up with somebody, a priest that were, <laughs> were really underhanded? Um. It would be the sons of Eli. The sons of Eli was, um, Hophnia and Phineas. Uh, Hophnia or Phineas. I, I probably butchered up the name. I think Phineas is good. Hophnia. But, um, but those two sons would use their position to, they would eat the, uh, they would eat the best meat that, uh, and they would, um, they were just, they were just scoundrels. And they, they died, they died in combat when Eli heard that, um, that the ark was taken and his sons were killed. He fell back dead. So these priests were, were scoundrels. So the, the priests who came up, they were men, um, and the order men, they were sinful men. Alright, but and here we're talking about the order of Melchizedek. And it's a different altogether. This is not in a Levitical line. It was a kingly priest. Jesus certainly was from the line of Judah. But his priesthood was not Levitical. Okay. Um, it, let me see. What about Annas? Were, were the, was he priest or was his line? Who's that? Sons of Annas. The ones that were in the temple, selling the... Oh, 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 those were, um, I don't think they were priests. They were okay. just, be, uh, um, the question is, how about the, um, the high priest, Annas? He was the high priest. Okay. But those people were there and, um, he was just making money off of the, he was taking a kickback on the things that they were selling in the temple. The sacrificial, you know, the sacrificial sheep and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Okay. All right. Let's move on. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem. Okay, what is Salem? Shalom. King of Salem. King of peace. King of peace. Priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and ble- and ble- uh, and blessed him. And where, where did we find that at? The first reference to Melchizedek. 14. Genesis 14. That's right. Genesis 14. Let's go to Genesis 14. Pick up a few things we didn't pick up uh, on, uh, on Sunday. And again, we said that uh, Abraham had just, or Abraham is coming back from a great victory, and um, he he had freed, he had um, brought back, he had um, liberated the hostages from King Catalomer, and it was a great victory for Abraham. His uh, house of three hundred trained three hundred eighteen trained warriors and his allies, they did something that the Kings, the five kings could not do with all their forces. So he comes back with this great, um, and this great victory. 
Then after, start with 17, and after his return from the defeat of Kedaliomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out and to meet him in the valley of Shabbat. Okay? And Melchizedek, king of Salem, king, uh, and this is, it can be Jerusalem, but it's Shalom, and it means peace, king of peace, brought out bread, wine, now he was a priest of the Most High God. Now, Melchizedek means what? King of righteousness. King of righteousness. Where was this king? I think we got questions here. I don't know. We won't be able to answer them. I'm not asking for an answer, but you know, just think about it. Okay, if he's a king in this area, which uh, Jerusalem is, this will be in this area. We can assume he's in this area. Um. Where was he when the war was happening? And where was he when, um, wasn't he threatened? Or didn't they rise up to go against, um, Melchizedek? Or would, or would, would dare they, would they dare? Alright, so, but he just happens to show up. We don't know anything prior to this. His name doesn't show up earlier in Genesis. He's, he's just there. And, um, so, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And what is this, great? Bread and wine. Communion. It is communion. Now he was a priest of the Most High. He blessed him. And, uh, when he said he blessed him, who blessed who? God bless. It was Melchizedek. Who blessed Abraham? Abraham's a great warrior. At this point, he's the greatest. He's probably the most greatest and the biggest celebrity within the whole um, nation. And I like this. Abraham comes back. He's a victor, but he he's not looking for um, for the medals. He's not looking for the ticker tape parade. What does he do when he comes back? He has communion. And maybe that should be a good practice for all of us. When, when there is great victory in our lives, when, when we see God move in our lives, when, when, uh, maybe, maybe on either, maybe in either thing. Maybe whether it, our greatest defeat or even our greatest victories. Anytime that We, any time that our, we would have a danger of drifting off and saying, and celebrating, either celebrating or being lost in our own self-pity. You know, you can do, you can do either one. When, when you, when you hit your greatest tragedy and you come and you you know, it may, may be even as a church. Maybe it'd be something as, as we do with the church, right? A catastrophe, a, tr- a tragedy. This would be a good Sunday to have communion. To bring us all to a focal point on who and what God is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Or our greatest victory. Did you know that, um, you may know it, uh, but uh when they when um Neil Armstrong 
and uh, Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon. Um, the one thing that Buzz Aldrin did before they got out uh, and took that first step on the moon was at communion. Um, Buzz Aldrin, uh, Catholic, but he had the he had the wafers, he had the wine, and they had communion when they landed on the moon. Um, you know, so how great victories! You know, certainly we come to the Lord in prayer, but then you know what whatever it is might be the promotion, might be whatever, you know, might be buying a new house, but whatever that victory is to to come together and 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 as a church celebrate having a communion so that you know we have our eyes fixed upon the author and the perfecter of our faith. So here it is that Abraham had a great victory. He comes back and he worships. And um here it is that Melchizedek is a higher rank than than Abraham. And Abraham's been among kings. He's been with Pharaoh <laughs> and I had to think about this. He he lies to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He also lies to Abimelech, another king, uh, the Philistine king. Uh, so he has these the these monarchs around. Um, certainly, he doesn't pay much respect. He doesn't pay much respect to to um, to the king of uh, Salem, or not the king of Salem. Um, Sodom, when when the king when the king offered here, you take the money and we'll I'll take the people. Said no, don't need your money. Kind of like, you know, no, I don't need you because you're you're not uh, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to claim that you know people are not going to claim or you're not going to claim that you made me rich. You know, so he kind of dis the king of Sodom, but when it comes to Melchizedek. He gives his com, um, complete, uh, let's say, loyalty or, or devotion to this King Mel- Melchizedek. Who is he? Is he, I don't think he's an angel. I think I've heard somebody say that he, he may be an angel. I don't think so. Could he be a pre-incarnate Christ? Uh, possibly. Um, could he... There's been those that say that he is, um, who is it? Um, Shem. Shem. So, but who is he? And we don't know. And we'll, we'll see in Hebrews as we go along. Doesn't have no lineage. Doesn't have no mother or father. Doesn't have a lineage. We don't know. He was here and then he's gone. We don't read about him until there's reference made in Psalms again. So, so he comes and he has um, communion with him, and and he is obviously the higher rank. It was Melchizedek who blessed Abram and said, "Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth." This is a priestly function. He's Melchizedek, a righteous king, but here he's performing a priestly function. Um, and blessed be the God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Jesus Christ is our king. He um and he also represents us as a priest. 
Our King right now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He gave him a tenth that he, Abram, gave him a tenth of all. Don't see him giving anything. Did, did Abram give anything to Pharaoh except for his wife? No. Did he give anything to um, Abimelech? No. Did he give anything to King Sodom? No. But Abraham did uh, give a tenth. He tithed to Melchizedek or Melchizedek, the king of Sodom. Or and then get this. Okay, now let's go on to twenty-one. I'll just read this part, and we'll get back to Hebrews. Um, just got a couple minutes left before Q and A. So he goes. Mom, mom, uh, mom said. My mother said one time that. You know, she goes to church, and you get this—you get this good feeling. You have—you have the—you're you're around your friends, your godly friends, and you're worshiping, and you're song, and you're praying, and and you're having Bibles, and and you just get this so feel good. And you walk out the door, and it's back to the same old, same old. And uh, she said that some years ago. Uh, it wasn't recently. She said that it was some years ago. She said that. But here you have you have this wonderful worship service. Abram, Abram and um, Melchizedek, and then um, he, Abram is blessed, and then Abram uh, then Abram gives tenths a tithe to Melchizedek, and it's a wonderful worship service. And now you're back. Now he steps away from that to the same old same old. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of the heavens and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours. For fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. Does it seem like there's a lot of respect for the king of Sodom? Not much at all. But then complete devotion to Melchizedek. Come on back to Hebrews with me. For this king, uh, verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter I've never caught that before. Y'all, y'all ever catch something? Sometimes you read something so much, and all of a sudden something just clicks with you. I like that. You see that, Michael? It comes back to the slaughter. Oh my goodness! Uh, slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all his spoils. Okay, so. Abraham didn't take nothing from it. He did use this. He did brought back. He he paid his men from that, and the, his allies from that before he gave the rest of it back to uh, King Sodom. But um, so he gave the tenth of everything he brought back to Melchizedek. Was first of all by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. 
And um, quite the contrast here, because you've got King Sodom, and you've got the king of Gomorrah, you've got the king of, um, of Zoar, and the other kings, defeated kings. And what were they kings of? They were kings of a Sodomite community. Um, they were a king, uh, they were, the, the, uh, King Sodom was the king of those people who tried to break down Lot's door in order to get those angels to, to, well, I'll, I'll clean it up, but to have their way with them. That was the king, and that king represented this, these people. Okay, but we're talking here, the king of righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's a sta- it's God's standard of right. It's, stand- uh, it's, it's God's norms and standards. Not something that God rises up to, but something that he is. And um, it is the boundaries of, um, it's, it's, it's the godly boundaries, like I say, on that. Okay, so the king of Salem, which is king of peace. So you, so said a couple things, he is the king of righteousness and he is the king of peace. And by the way, our Lord Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. So without a father, here, here's your lineage back, without a father, without a mother, without a genealogy, see in Genesis you're having all these genealogies, but uh, here is this significant uh, king that we don't know anything about his background. Now my question would be in Hebrews, that is that just figuratively speaking? That, okay, we just don't know that he has a father and mother, or is this, is this a supernatural being that really does not have a lineage? Okay? That's my question. I don't know. Any, I, y'all have any thoughts on that? No. I mean, we could talk about how, I mean, it says, I mean, using logic, it's not Shem. Yeah, I feel like if it were, it would would have said, but... Good point. Shem's got a lineage. Right. So it can't be Shem. Knocks that out, don't it? Good job. Didn't think of that. Dan. What's that? Dan. Dan? I don't think he'd be Dan. <laughs> no. Um, He's the only one that's not him one. <laughs> but Dan's way in the future. I know. But. Okay. So, uh, without a father, without a mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. And so there he is. Um, wouldn't be the Lord Jesus Christ as if we're doing a comparison, made like the Son of God. Uh, he remains a priest perpetually. Okay, so 
Interesting figure. I've got a lot of questions about this. Um, now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment to, in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. Okay, different genealogy. So Levi collects up the tenth, but here it is that Abraham gives this, gives this one, um, Melchizedek, a tenth. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. So a little bit more to take out of there, which we need to, um, we haven't gotten that far yet. So um, let's go on to our questions, Q&A. All right, number one, what is a priest? Number one, what is a priest? One who represents man to God. Exactly, one who represents man to God. And, um, okay, I guess we covered that pretty much anything. Number two, when we talk about Isaiah, we're going, and, and this is a reference to Isaiah 6 6. And uh, we were talking um, Sunday about um, the being the fear of God here. Why was Isaiah so frightened when he was in the throne room of God? His eyes had seen the Lord, I think, but I had circled. I can't remember. Okay, I don't have the answers in front. You got of me. the answers here. His eyes had seen the King, the Lord of Hosts. His heart was full of deceit. It's okay. He, he was not sir, he was not consecrated before the Lord or he was an unbeliever. It was a that his eyes had had seen the seen king. king, the Lord. The Lord of hosts. Okay. Why would or of That was that was a fear of seeing seeing the Lord and um what was what was the statement that he made? I'm a man of unclean lips. Always me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Living among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognized who he was in the light of who and what God is. Okay, number three. Okay, this is a fill-in. In Revelation, the title for Jesus is the Lamb. Um, we see it in a number of places in Revelation. The Lamb breaks the seal. What, why is, what significance, and I'm going to give this to Grady, what significance is it that, um, to us as believers? What, what is the Lamb? Why, why would Jesus, um, be called a Lamb? Because they sacrificed okay. the perfect. What's that? Like the perfect ones with no spot or bloom. Exactly. Exactly. He was perfect lamb without spot and without blemish. Any Anything else? Anybody have anything to add to that? Yeah, because he, he offered himself up to God. 
And he, he represented us before God. Okay. How, okay, on all that, how did... He was an atonement. At the cross, how did Jesus fulfill the priestly function? How did Jesus fulfill the priestly function at the cross, or did he? Yeah, because he he took on the penalty of our sins. Okay, that would be the lamb part. But how would he fill in the priestly function? The priest didn't take on it. What's that? The anointing. The anointing? Talking at the cross. What's that? The anointing of his blood. The giving up of his blood. The giving up of the sacrifice. No matter what was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God, and he was also the priest. Uh, the priest, remember, you asked about the priest. The priest gave up. You So you have a perfect priest, not from, and uh, not by the order of Melchizedek. He, he was not from the Levitical line, but uh, he was a kingly priest. As a priest, as that function, he gave the perfect sacrifice, which is, what was the perfect sacrifice that he, Jesus, gave up in order that we might be saved? Life. His own body. Yes, his own life. He gave his own life. That's about communion. So, so as, and as, so he is the priest, but he's also the Lamb of God. All right, number four. What does the name Melchizedek mean? King of righteousness. Very good. King of righteousness. Okay. Um, going back to Grady on this one. What did Abram give to Melchizedek? Blessing. Somebody else? And yeah, so his Yes, the, he tied, it was tithing. He tied to Abraham the tenth of his spoils. All the things, all the stuff that he had brought back, um, that he recaptured from, killed, um, Cataliomer. I still like that slaughter. <laughs> slaughter of those kings. And what he brought back, he gave a tenth of all that to his uh to Melchizedek. And again, the lesser it'd be the greater blessing the lesser, um the higher rank blessing the lower rank, and then the lower rank and and reciprocation, um reciprocal fashion, then um then tides ten percent of everything the, of the spoils. Okay, and that's where it goes here. Um, when we give to God, we give, and not not only not only from our finances, um, the um, the tenth of our income and all that, the tithing and and all that, we give back to God what God has blessed us with. God has blessed us with time. We give back to God time. We, in our finances, we give we give to back to God um, that which He has blessed us with. So we bless God the greater out of what, or we give back to God what He has given to us. All right.
Number six. What happened prior to Abram meeting Melchizedek? Been talking about it all night. What happened? Worship? Um, no, before Abraham. he met Melchizedek. He rescued Lot. He rescued from the, the mean old kings. Billy <laughs> Omer and his motley crew. His motley crew. And was it a slaughter? It was a slaughter. Okay. Um, again, so I, you're smiling saying it. it reminds me you can't say slaughter without laughter. But it was slaughter. Um, all right, number seven. Why is worship important during hardship? I mean, when it's... In good times, we we will worship God, but here it is: Why is worship important, especially during hardship? Oh, we spoke about an anchor a couple of classes ago. It's well, it's not like yourself, but it's. What was that I was talking about allowing the Lord to hold you? Yeah, you brought that up. Yeah. To anger yourself, to, to give assurance that the hope that lies within you and Christ you're in hardship because you, if you don't, you will, there will be another void and then something else will fill that void. Because um, we all have a tendency to <coughs> idolize worship or do something that when we're in need and hardship to draw towards. And so the importance of a continuum of worship through the hardship is very important because you will veer off in the wrong direction. Why would you veer off in the wrong direction? Because it's the flesh. And the flesh is um, our hearts are, are prone to we are filthy as it. Okay. Right? The verse. Um, because our nature Right. Um, we are, we are to, um, we that need that hope and that lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, Mike, did you want to say something? Oh, she just said it. Uh, just, uh, hope, losing hope. It's just our natural gravitation to uh, be fatalists. What was me? What would you, uh, for one particular sin, when you're looking at, and uh, let's just call it self-pity. Um, in self-pity, what would be the sin of self-pity? Is, is self-pity a sin, first of all? Would your arrogance? Okay, so. there you go. That's what I'm looking for. Arrogance. What is arrogance? Uh, I, I don't sell. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't sell. You put it. 
a lofty view of self or a lowliness of self. Looking outside, and it's the wrong view, uh, I would say the wrong view of self in light of who and what God is. Arrogance is exactly what you just said. It's eyes off God. It's not who and what God is, it's who you are. So you're, yeah. it's all about you. Yes. Yeah. It's not about who and what. All about who I am minus God. Uh, that's where I thought, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, we, you've left God out of the picture. Once again, now, as I've stated earlier, when you're moving into the crisis situation, when your life has just been turned upside down, and some crisis in life, and again, let me tell you, let me not only warn you, but um, in the light of, not only warn you, but to remind you to continue to prepare for that day coming. But it really, we're not doing this to prepare for bad days and saving up for a rainy day. When we have our eyes fixed upon the Lord on a daily basis, even in the good times, in the prosperity times, and we take the time. You're here this evening. Congratulations. We are coming together. We are working these things out. We're in God's Word. We're talking about, we, we are, we are, um, worshiping together in God's Word. This is not just to fill in and check the box for our religious studies, but this is to prepare our hearts with a relationship with God. And that's what we're doing. And so, let me walk back just a little bit that we're not preparing for the crises. We are developing our relationship with God that we're going to take into the crises. So that when we go into the crises or we go into the prosperity, we have a right view of God. And our vision is so fixed on the Lord that while there is the times when we're going to, there, there is the valleys. There's going to be the poochie lift. There's going to be the times when we're just going to bawl our eyes out. And then we pick up our guns and continue to press forward. There's, uh, God gave us that that ability to release. And listen, don't ever think that. And listen, if you're coming to somebody that's crying their eyes out, just be there with them and you know let them release. Them. And crying is all right. Boohooing is all right. Even for us guys. Even if you're a Marine. It's all right. It's the release. That's that's nothing. That's 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 not saying you're out of sorts. But even in the tears, even in your tears, even in your anguish, Jesus himself was in anguish. Jesus himself even wept. But he did not take his eyes off God, even through the tears. And so it's utterly, it is so important. And testing isn't about how you're going to cope with the situation. Testing is not about coping. 
Testing is about taking the faith that's within you, and that faith is keeping your eyes locked upon the author of that faith and following him. Okay? Our hope, going through that valley, keeping our, again, keeping our eyes fixed upon him. Uh, so in, so when it comes to the, the adversity testing, we're apt to be arrogant on the side of self-pity. Whereas in prosperity, we are more apt to, um, to lose sight because of our prosperity, our riches. So, um, if, if the devil can't get you with one, he'll get you with the other. Alright? So, why, why is worship important hard, uh, during hardship? Anybody else? Anything else to add to that? I was going to say, you know, scripture gives us the illustration of building on the rock and sand. Matthew. So, your hopes based on your faith, which is built on the rock, right? And mm-hmm. not on sand. Poor foundation. Not going to withstand. So, you're saying we're not doing this just to prepare for the storm. And if you were doing it with that motive, it's just like you're just building it on, no matter how strong it is, you just build it on the sand. That's like life, that's like life in general. Um, you're building on that, on that solid foundation. It's like life and everything. We try, we try to look at the Bible as an answer to all the things in life. Uh, and we, uh, we focus upon maybe passages about marriage or passages about being, you know, self-help guide. What's that? Self-help, self-help guide. guide. The Bible's not a self-help guide. Exactly. The Bible is building a relationship with the Lord through His Word. And we, it's a basis of not a self-help guide, but a, a, but to build up. Being transformed. Yes, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Learning how to think. So that when we come in these crises, you know, we're guarded in our thinking. We've got a strong thought process that keeps our eyes. Because coming through, what, what do they say, Grady? Um, 99%, uh, if you've never heard it. You know, crisis, when you come in through a crisis, it, it'll say, or, well, boot camp, they, it, it'd say, it's 99 it's 99% concentration, 1% perspiration. <laughs> you know, so, um, you are to think your way through the crisis. That's why, Grady, I say that the most important thing that we do in our process is our thinking. Okay. Um, may I steal my own thunder on this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Um, Question eight. Why is worship important when victorious? As Abraham came back and he worshiped with Melchizedek, why? And, um, victorious, um, yeah, well, I'll just leave it at that. Why is worship important when victorious? Humble yourself over the mighty, under the mighty hand of God. What is it? Is it James? Humble, uh, no, that's Peter. Humble thyself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you at the proper time. That's a grounding. It's a 
Humble. Keeping yourself in check before the Lord. Keeping your orientation. Keeping proper orientation. I like it. I like it. Orientation. Keeping, keeping orient. Um, Careful where you stand. <laughs> yeah. Careful that you. Well, that a minute. That because, you think you stand, lest you fall. Go ahead. Well, I know they, it was a king. He, um, they had communion, which was reckoned. It, 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 it is the worship, which was, I guess, what you would say, the communion, the worship of knowledge, of knowing. Uh-huh. Um, uh, recognizing, um, yeah, because Abram could have been haughty mm-hmm. after his they were both, victory. What a, they were what both, a temptation, I yeah, think. yeah. I guess it's hard to explain what I'm trying to say, but yeah, I'm, I'm the man, I'm uh, you the man, I'm the man, um, and. Certainly, Abram. Abram. Abram was a a certainly a wonderful man of faith. He he certainly was. Um, yes, did he have his did he have his um, setbacks? Yes, he did. But the little things that you need to sit and 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 look at that was big. And didn't doesn't really look at like big things, but they were. Like when Abraham parts with Lot and says, you, you choose. Abraham understood, you know, that he was going to inherit all this land. It wasn't nothing. He couldn't give it away. It didn't matter that God in his good time was going to, that this is going to be his. And that little thing about telling Lot to go, and Abraham could have, being a senior man, said, you go, you take go that way, I'm going to go this way. And Abraham could have cho- took the choices of Lot, but he didn't. And it was reward for that. His bravery with Catalyomer. You see, one thing about Abraham's uh, bravery was he knew that he wasn't going to die in battle unless, unless he was going to be resurrected. He was confident. He was he was confident because there was a promise. He hadn't he hadn't received he hadn't received a son yet, the promised son. So he was, you know, he was Abraham. Abraham was probably as comfortable in battle like I'll steal a line from um, from Stonewall Jackson. He probably as comfortable in battle as he or comfortable in uh, battle as he would be in his own bed because he knew that. He was standing on the promise of God. So look at the little things that Abraham did. Yes, he did some things that, you know, like Operation Hagar and, and, and running to Egypt. Those things were some setbacks, but don't we all have those setbacks? Great man of faith. Um, you know, and there, there are some things you look at the life of Isaac and the life of Jacob, and you see where they, and compare their lives with Abraham, and you'll see some things that, Wow, Abraham wouldn't have done it that way. And why is he doing this way? But go on. All right, number nine. Why is it important that we have an anchor to the soul? I'm going to give this to Amanda. Why is it important that we have an anchor of the soul? 
The answer's on your paper? No, I didn't answer it. You didn't answer that one. All right. I'm going to go shoot on the other side of the room. Grady, how, why is, what is an anchor to the soul and why is it important to have one? Okay, we're going to jump back to Becca. Um, well, number one, the soul is our sensibility, our soul, our personality, our, our essence, our being. So, and then the anchor should be our Lord Jesus Christ, the hope that lies within us. So, um, it is important to have that, important um, anchor. Who's the anchor? You know, so that would be the Lord Jesus Christ, hope that lies within us. He is our priest. So, um, we have that. Um, so when our soul, there, our, our, part of our, what separates us, um, makes us, I guess you would say, um, drives us, um, you know, we need an anchor. We need an anchor. <laughs> because if we don't, you know, um, we will drift away. Drift away is a big, uh, drift away is a big, that's uh, one thing I would include when, in my answer it is to drift. When, I think there's a verse actually in the wind. What is that? Drift. From the hymn, you know, my, uh, my heart is, uh, or what is it? Um, subject to drift. Yeah. Anything else? If we do not have build our priorities around our relationship with Christ, we are subject to drift away. Our, um, our hearts, our carnal nature, we are in battle with our carnal nature. Our carnal nature continually wants to have its way and doesn't really want anything to do with the spirit. And, uh, this is what Galatian, uh, Galatians 5 speaks of, that conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And, um, the, it, it, they set themselves, Paul says they set themselves against each other. The spirit needs to be strengthened, and it needs to be strengthened with the anchor, uh, the the word of God, our our prayer life, our our communion. Uh, what? Tell me, um, man, uh, communion. Well, or anyone, how does communion keep us anchored? What? Why is it an anchor? So I can remember. And that's exactly what it is. Uh, it's Thanksgiving. In remembrance of yeah. Thanksgiving in remembrance of yeah. Remembrance what she said. Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving also is a it uh, remembering Thanksgiving is a remembering and it's a life of gratitude which keeps it's another element of anchoring us to the one whom we're in gratitude with. We're uh, let me see. Uh, and then we go with the last one. Um, number 10. What act of worship did Melchizedek and Abram participate in, Grady? Communion. Communion. 
Now, my trick question there, what else? There multiple choice. Yeah, multiple choice. Baptism, communion, Passover, Eucharist. What does Eucharist mean? It means Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Communion is. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I was going to say that's the communion only one that is, I know. Communion is the Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then if we back up, why is it important to the anchor? One of our anchors um, or one of the priorities that we have to keep us anchored to our Lord Jesus Christ is Thanksgiving. And Sabbath, I would say. Shabbat, yes. Um, that day when we set apart and our um and our reflection and our um our daily uh, daily communion with Christ. All right, any other parting questions or anything before we close it out today? I found only getting the Mel Kizadek. Kizadek. I still let you finish. I'm sorry. No, no, thank you. I never can say it. The why it kept repeating and saying uh, in the order of Mel's Kizadek. And why is that? Is because that he is the king of priesthood and that it is the type, that meaning of that he is the, uh, like Christ, um, you know, that he is. Yeah. So, so, there you go. All right. You know, you you read it and you've read it over and over and like, you know. All right. Father in heaven, we, Praise thee, we lift up our hearts to thee. And we do pray this evening, Heavenly Father, we did mention um, the um, the challenge of David and Sierra. We ask Heavenly Father and and the trials that they're going through right now, the husband and wife team, give them both courage, be with the children and that and that, and that family, all is involved. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your glory will shine through the suffering. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you lift up their spirits, um, comfort them with a comfort, uh, with a supernatural comfort, a comfort that comes from above. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we continue to study your word, that it is not just as a hobby or not just as an academic pursuit but with a genuine love to want to know to come to know and to build our relationship on thee and to build a foundation which is Christ that will stand through any prosperity testing and through any adversity testing now pray Heavenly Father not these things in your precious son's name. Amen. Alright, remember next Tuesday night we will be our, um, our Bible challenge. A Bible challenge comes with the, the categories. There will be six categories. I'll give you one category now, which will be, um, the introduction. It's the introduction to it. So read a little bit on the commentaries or, 
um, whatever you have, you have your, uh, by, you have your, um, if you have a study Bible, you can read the notes on there. Uh, so anyway, and then, and then we have the first five chapters of Bible. The, the chapter one is the genealogies, um, and the birth of Christ. Uh, two, uh, is the John the Baptist. Uh, two, no, as it were, two would be the Magi. No, the Magi was Luke. Oh, we'll look at it, but chapter two. Th- What's that? It talks about them in Matthew. In one of the chapters in Matthew. Well, I think you're talking about the shepherds. Oh, no, two, two is, um, Her- Herod and, yeah, the Magi and Herod. Yes, you're right. It is Magi. Three is John the Baptist. Four will be the um, testing of Jesus. Five is the Sermon on the Mount. So that's the... Those not going to be... The, well, the categories that could come out of there. It might be... Are you going to announce that It might be a little bit different, but... You're going to announce the categories Sunday? Yeah, I'll give, I'll give you the categories on Sunday. That is... Um, Sunday. All right. With that, you are dismissed. No, we-